0: You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant congregation outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. You can learn more about us at Bethelcov.org. Thanks for listening. Your Bible, if you would, to um, page one, uh, Genesis uh, chapter one, verse one, at the very, very beginning. Um, at Bethel, over the last uh, maybe month, we've been talking about um, learning how to read the Bible, um, what it means to approach Scripture, and we've talked about how we need to read it um, in light of what it is, you know, that it's a a library of books composed by more than 40 people written over several thousands of years, and how we ought to to read it in light of the fact that we believe that uh, God breathed out these words and And so we've been talking about what it means to to read Scripture, and uh, today what we're going to talk about is the story that the Bible tells, Uh, the the story of of Scripture, and I think I got that right there on the slide, too. Look at that. Yeah, story of the Bible, and we're going to talk about the story of the Bible in two parts, this Sunday and next Sunday, and this is uh, just one way of looking at it, but it it starts right there on on page 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and as I've been thinking about the, the story of the Bible and, and Palm Sunday, I, you know, I, I told you guys earlier, I just love Palm Sunday and it just, it takes me back. I smell those branches and I'm in like third grade, you know, and it, it's just such a cool feeling. And and I've been thinking about the story of the Bible all week, and I've been thinking about uh, when I was a kid, and I wanted to, if you guys would just do a little thought experiment with me, think back, you know, try and get back if you need to, you know, like, if you're like me, just, okay, try and get back. You know, imagine when you were in, like, third or fourth grade. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a picture for you. Maybe this never happened to you, but maybe something like it uh, did. Imagine your teacher comes to school one day, you know, it's the beginning of the day, and you guys are your teacher's you're his favorite class, okay? And it's just clear the teacher just loves you. The teacher cares about you a lot. And, and the teacher, uh, he or she, they, they want to celebrate how much they care about you. And so they, they bring to school that day this huge bowl of candy, right? And then you're a kid, you're in third grade, and, and it's just full of your favorite candy. Um, so obviously, it's full of the best candy, which is those Reese's peanut butter cup eggs, it's just those, um, but I guess if you like something else, maybe it's that for you. Uh, and I, I just—I've been picturing it all week. You know, she comes in, uh, she sets the bowl down, and opens the bag and just pours in all of this amazing candy. And and it's the beginning of the day. She says, you know, I just want to thank you guys because I, I love you guys. I care about you. And you know, she's pouring the, the bowl out there. And and then um, you know, she says, now please, you know, only we start. It's the very beginning of the school day. Just take one. You know, just take one. And then, you know, teachers got to go to the bathroom, so she walks out of the room. So, what happens in that classroom? Right? What, what happens? And I don't know about the school that you went to, but in the school that I went to, everybody um, responded to that a little bit differently, right? There are some kids and some people in every room. That just have no shame at all, right? You know, they're the kind of people that even if the teacher was there, they'd like walk up to that bowl and look her straight in the eye and just take a huge handful and shove it in the pocket, right? And 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 walk away. There's always some of us, and if that's you, I'm impressed, right? That wasn't me at all. Some kids are are a little sneakier, right? Um, They come up with excuses and reasons to walk to the front of the room and like, oh, like the teacher's gone and I have my piece of candy, but I just have to get something off teacher's desk and I just walk up and and you know they just. Like sneak a little one or whatever, and and some kids, you know, and maybe this was you growing up. You're like the good kid, and you're like, no, you know, the teacher said no. The teacher said take one, and and you sit there with your head down on your desk uh, as all of your friends are coming up and taking candy, and you're watching, and everybody's taking two, and you're thinking, but I want more than one, and so maybe at the very end you sneak up and just take a few because. Because you want it, maybe you you resist for a really long time, uh, and you're that good kid, and uh, and if you're that good kid, you can resist for a while. But if there's candy left in the dish and the teacher's gone long enough, right? Even you are up there taking a little bit, and you know there's those uh, other couple kids. Usually, those two boys that are friends, and they're like they're fighting each other to get to the front of the room, and, and they're pulling at the bowl, and you know maybe they knock it on the ground and break it or whatever. Uh, and right, inevitably, what happens after your poor teacher who loved you guys so much to give you all this candy, she comes back into the room, and what does she find? Right, the candy is is gone. Maybe if you're one of those classes, there's like one piece left in the bowl, which is almost worse, (laughs) Uh, but but it's gone, you know, and and maybe, you know, growing up candy wasn't your thing, Um, but I think we all have something that, especially when we were a kid, um, we would do something that we knew was wrong to get a little bit more of. You know, maybe it was the respect and appreciation of others, maybe it was a little bit more attention, but there's always something. All of us, I think, have something that we're willing to, um, even when we're given a lot, just reach up and grasp a little bit more. There's something that makes us want to stick our hands in that candy bowl and pull out as much as we can. And if we're honest, um, most of you, probably not all of you, have grown out of candy, Um, You know, that doesn't hold the same sway. I could let a a bowl of candy sit here all day and and maybe none of you would take any, though I doubt it. Um, Now, we might grow out of candy, but that impulse remains, uh, right? Uh, That um, the candy, it changes, but we're still just as grabby as we were when we were third graders, right? Uh, And there's always that thing that we're willing to just reach a little bit more to get a little bit more for ourselves. We, we see it, our, our pop culture is full of stories like this. Of people that have been given everything and and reach for just one more thing and it, you know, kind of destroys their life. Or, or maybe we have stories of, you know, famous people and heroes that everybody respects and appreciates and like, oh yeah, like this person, it's a, a pastor maybe, or, um, you know, maybe a long time ago it used to be like a politician and you were like, oh yeah, like this person, they understand. They're a good person. And then, right, the thing comes out about them that they did, right? They, it wasn't enough. The power, the fame, the privilege. It wasn't enough. They had to grab that one more thing that they couldn't have. And uh, we tell these stories constantly because we experience it constantly, and we wrestle with it constantly. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, the question becomes, you know, are, are we doomed to live this way forever? You know, are we stuck always reaching in for a little bit more and ruining it for everyone? Uh, or is there hope? You know, is it always going to be the best people among us? They always just, even the best, just take it a little too far. Uh, are we doomed to this cycle of being blessed abundantly and, and reaching up and just uh, sneaking one more piece forever? Um, The reason I tell you that story is because that is, that's the story that the Bible is trying to tell. Uh, The first part of the story, it starts in the, in the book of Genesis. The Bible is actually full of candy dish stories like this. It's full of stories of people who have been given everything and it's not enough for them. They reach up to grab just a little bit more. You know, how come we do that? And will we ever... Stop. And so, if you read the, the story of Scripture, it starts you know right here on page one, Genesis one, uh, page chapter one verse one. Um, the Bible tells uh, two creation stories, two stories about how the world came into being. And there's lots of interesting stuff there. But the most important thing that you need to know about uh, the Bible and about the book of Genesis is the first point that your Bible tries to make to you is one that God made the world, uh, and two uh, that God called the world good. Uh, on every line of the first page, the word that comes out more than anything else on the first page of the Bible is the word good because every time God makes something, whether it's the land or the sea or the animals or the plants or whatever, uh, it's this refrain, it's this poem, right? Uh, God made the ground and he called it good. Uh, so that's the first point that uh, the Bible really wants to make is that the creation uh, that we live in is a good thing. Not everybody believes that. That's one of the things that makes the Christian faith unique is we believe this world was made Good. Not neutral, not bad, but but actually good. Uh, So God makes a good world. He's filling up the candy dish. Uh, And then he makes a people. He makes human beings. This is the second point that the Old Testament makes. The second point that Genesis makes is that human beings are also good. Uh, He makes a man and a woman. He makes them in his image, it says, to be like him. And he says they're good. Uh, And actually, he does a little bit more than that. Not only does God create mankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Uh, He blesses them. So if you're wondering what it means to be made in God's image, according to the very first page of the Bible, uh, it's this. um, You have this purpose. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky over every living creature that moves along the ground. So if you want to understand the story of the Bible, the story is this. God made the world and it's good. God made you, and he made you good, and God intends you as a human being uh, to rule over, to partner with him in making creation great and beautiful, Uh, because God makes the world. He plants this beautiful garden, and he tells the man and the woman, your job is to fill up this creation with more little people that will join and partner with me, with God, in making the natural world beautiful, making it special, joining in God's creative impulse. And so uh, if you ever do anything like that today, uh, if you are a leader with people, if you're a teacher, if you make things for a living, if you you grow food out of the ground for a living like a crazy person, (laughs) if you do any of these things today, that is you living into a part of what you were made for. We are made to work alongside God in good work to bring something good out of creation. If you make a table, that's that's what God meant for us to do. Make beautiful things. Make his creation beautiful. So that's our purpose. Page one, God sets the candy dish down and he pours everything into it. A good world, good people, and a good purpose. He chooses human beings, Psalm 8 says, to be a little lower than the angels and above the rest of creation. Uh, Chosen specifically to team up with God, and make the world beautiful. Great. The dish is full. And in, uh, the, on the second page, it talks, it tells a, a different way of telling the story. It talks about how God took the man and the woman, and he put them in a garden. And he said, you guys can have anything you want uh, to eat in this garden. Cultivate it, but, but don't eat from this one tree. Um, so here's, here's the trouble. It uh, comes in on, on page two. Uh, so, sorry, we'll go to that in a minute. Uh, God gives abundantly. On page two, he says, you can have anything from any tree in the garden except for this one. So God fills the candy dish. and He doesn't say take one. He says, take a thousand. Just don't take that one because that's the kind that I like, maybe. Uh, so God gives abundantly. And on page two, the story continues. And if you want to know what the Bible's about, this is, this is what it's about. On page two... Uh, we have a little story about how the man and the woman that God created did the thing that you and I have seen men and women do their whole our whole lives. They did the thing that you and I have done in our life. Is even though we were given everything, they wanted just a little bit more. Um, in the story on page two, the man and the woman, the human beings, they meet... Um, They meet a serpent in the story. It's described as as a talking serpent. And uh, they don't give us any information about who this person is. As you read the Old Testament, um, they explain more and more um, who this serpent is. But there's this this serpent uh, that is uh, representative of evil. And so the man and the woman, they encounter a personified form of evil, this serpent. And the serpent says, hey, I know God made a promise with you. I know God wants to partner with you. I know God asked you not to do this. But instead, why don't you team up with me? Uh, He says, if you team up with me, you you can't trust God. But if you team up with me together, uh, man and the woman and evil, we can come together and we can get anything we want. We can grasp at that one thing that's bigger and better than what God has offered you. And so they do, Adam and Eve, they, they team up with the forces of evil. And it says, uh, and this is from page two of your Bible, um, it's talking about Eve, and Adam does it too. It says, she took some and ate it, and also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. So, um, so this is the story of Genesis. Uh, The first two pages. God gives abundantly and outpouringly more than you can imagine. Good, 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 you're good. Rule over this good creation with your good God with me forever. How awesome is that? God gives, and as human beings, even though we've been given so much, we, we reach up and just grab onto that little thing. We take both hands and we shove it in the candy bowl, and the teacher never brings candy again, right? It ruins everything. Someone offers us something and we take a little bit more. That's, that's page one and two. And if, if the Bible was just pages one and two, if the story of Genesis was just pages one and two, um, this would be a, a very familiar story. We've all experienced this. We've all seen this story play out in our lives, in the lives of others, um, in, in fiction too. Uh, but, but hidden in the very first story of the Bible, on page three, is a, a little teeny tiny promise um, if you blink, you'll miss it. And I grew up missing it. I missed this promise over and over again reading, reading Genesis, reading the Old Testament, even, even through seminary. But it's, it's there. And this is what page 3 says. Uh, on page 3, uh, God is describing the consequences that came about because human beings grabbed up and took a little bit more for themselves he talks about how it's going to wreck their relationships with each other. And this is before he sends them out of his perfect garden because he can't trust the humans in there anymore. He sends them out. Uh, and he says this, and it's a part of that that it's called the curse. It's a part of that description of how broken the world is going to be. God says this um, to the serpent, to the serpent that tempted Adam, and he, that teamed up with the humans to grab a little bit more for God. He says, I will put enmity, I will put conflict between you and the woman between your offspring and hers, uh, and here's, here's the, the meat right here, it says, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel, and the first uh, million times I read this growing up, uh, it, it sounds like a cute story about how people don't like snakes, right, right, it, all the, you're a child of Eve, we're all descendants of Eve, and when we see snakes, we're like, oh, I don't want any of that, they're dangerous, right, um, but it's actually, there's a little bit more to it than that, um, That's what I used to think growing up. But if you read this, if you read page 3 of Genesis next to the whole Old Testament, uh, you start to notice something. Um, The Old Testament works like this. Most of the books of the Old Testament... um, they have these genealogies, right? Where it says, so-and-so was the son of so-and-so was the son of so-and-so was the son of so-and-so. And And as readers today, thousands of years later, we just skip over that part because it's super boring and it doesn't make any sense, right? Um, But they're actually really important um, because what they're doing with those genealogies when you read the Old Testament is they're helping you connect how this person that we're talking about now relates all the way back to Eve, um, they're a reminder to us as readers today that um, this person, whether it's Moses or um, you know, Cain or Noah or any of those famous people in the Old Testament, David, uh, it's a reminder that this person is a seed of the woman, a descendant of the woman. So all the way back on page three, there's this little seed of hope. And the, the seed of hope tells us that the story of the Bible is not, um, it's not just this story, right? this story of futility, that there's a little bit of hope. And the hope is this, as you turn the pages of the book, this little seed grows and is developed and is described more what we're hoping for. Uh, You'll find that the Old Testament is dedicated to following Eve's descendants and looking for the one who will do this. That someday somebody will come along, a child of Eve, and instead of teaming up with the snake and taking a little bit more for themselves, uh, they'll team up with God and crush the snake's head. They'll destroy evil and be destroyed by it. Uh, there's this little promise that, that grows and grows and grows. And as you turn the pages of the Bible, and I encourage you uh, to read through the Old Testament. If you read through the Old Testament this way, you'll see this story over and over again. Uh, God will bless people over and over again, with abundant blessing, even though they don't deserve it. Those people will do good for a while, uh, but they'll always reach up and grasp a little bit more. They'll always grab a little bit more, Uh, and then alongside that story will be the development of this promise that says, well, yeah, but someday, even though this person failed, even though that person turned their back, even though that person reached up and grabbed a little bit more, someday, the seed of the woman, the descendant of the woman, will crush this evil force that um, leads us all astray. Uh, But as you read through the Old Testament, I encourage you, you, you you can see it a little bit better when you see it this way, that it's a story of God giving and people taking and God giving and people taking. And God just keeps doing it no matter how many times we turn our back and And every time we see this cycle in the Old Testament, it doesn't take long before the promise is made uh, that someday uh, God will use, will partner with human beings to defeat evil once and for all. That one day God will fix the problem and as you're reading through the Old Testament and Genesis and Leviticus, you're learning about Israel and the prophets and this promise is growing and developing and then all of a sudden the Old Testament, it just ends Uh, It's built up this whole promise, and it ends before it's resolved. It ends before somebody comes along uh, that can crush the serpent's head until um, uh, quite a few years later, um, until you get to what we call the New Testament. Um, The first book of the New Testament, in our order, is a book called Matthew. And if you were to turn to Matthew 1, here's what you'd find. It, It goes like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And if you're like me, you skipped over that. Uh, But if you're an early reader of the uh, the New Testament, the first thing that goes into your head when you see Abraham was the father of Isaac, right away, uh, this is what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is a story about the seed. This is a story about the promise, the seed of the woman uh, and the seed of the serpent. And the Gospels... um, they tell a story just like this, uh, except, except different. Um, and, and here it is. So it, it begins with an abundant blessing of God. God, um, we believe as, as Christians that Jesus is both totally God and totally human, uh, that God is responsible for his conception, but he's still a daughter of Eve. He's a human being who is also God. And so the story begins with God blessing uh, Jesus in his creation. If you read the Gospels, you find Jesus, he's he's working and partnering with God, right? God wants to partner with us. Jesus gives us a perfect example of what it looks like to partner with God. And for Jesus, that means he's uh, teaching with authority like nobody's ever heard before. It means he's healing people and caring for people that nobody else cared about. Jesus is abundantly blessed. He has all this power Um, uh, But page two comes along, and and you find a page two story in our Gospels. In the Gospels, the first um, real solid page two story is the story of Jesus being tempted into the desert. Um, Right before Jesus starts his ministry, he goes into the desert for 40 days, uh, which is meant to remind us of the 40 years that God's people spent in the desert. And in the desert, he's tempted by evil three times, by the seed of the serpent three times. Three times the serpent tries. Tries to get, uh, and in the New Testament we call him Satan, three times the evil one tries to get Jesus to use his own power, to use what he's been given by God, to grab some more for himself. He says, team up with me. We could be great together. Uh, but in the story of, of the Gospels, three times Jesus refuses to team up with the evil one. He refuses to seize a little bit more for himself when the snake, when evil comes to tempt Jesus, uh, he fails to get Jesus to grasp and ruin everything. In fact, Jesus lives his whole life with an, an open hand. He refuses to seize power by colluding with evil. Even though he's tempted by evil, he, he doesn't sin. And, and Um, If you know the story, and if you join us on Friday to hear the story of the crucifixion, uh, you'll find another page two story. Uh, Jesus spends the story of the crucifixion surrounded by guards uh, who are abusing him and taking him uh, to the cross to kill him. And even though Jesus has control over the powers of life and death, he's raised people from the dead, uh, he's spoken words that have made people fall back on their feet, even though Jesus has all this power, he's fully God and fully man, uh, he willingly refuses to resist uh, the Roman centurions that take him to the cross. He refuses to resist them with his willpower. He refuses to grasp even his own life if it means colluding with evil. And he does. He goes willingly to the cross. If you join us on Friday, you'll hear the story of Jesus, though he has all the power in the world, going willingly to the cross. And in that moment when they hang him up on the cross... If you know the story of page 3 in Genesis, if you've heard the promise of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent, you know that in that moment as Jesus breathes his last, that old, old promise is coming true. The promise that's developed through the whole first part of Scripture is coming true. The seed of the woman is crushing the head of the serpent. A human being is defeating evil, and in so doing, he's struck and killed. In his innocent death, sin and evil and death in this imprisoning cycle that holds us all captive is broken once and for all. That collected grasping, that impulse that we just can't seem to fight no matter how good we are and how hard we try, what the Bible calls sin, that impulse to partner with evil to get a little bit more for myself, that impulse that starts all the way on the very first, second, and third page of the Bible from Adam to Moses to Abraham to David and Solomon and Saul, all the way to you and me and your parents and your friends and the people that do terrible things today. That same impulse is uh, bundled up and gathered together It's placed on his shoulders, that way of life, that curse, the curse of the human condition and the collective punishment that we deserve for all the wrong things that we've done in our lives, all the times that we did that thing and we didn't think anybody saw and we made an excuse for why it was okay, all the times we reached our hands into the candy dish and sent it crashing to the ground, all the punishment that we deserve for all that harm that we've caused died with him on the cross. And if we're willing, the Bible says we can be united with him in his death. Our old selves, the ones prone to this destructive cycle of being blessed and seizing more, uh, have been crucified with him. The whole first part of the Bible tells the story of this cycle. Most of the Bible is dedicated to this story. And and every time you meet a new character, you see God forgiving them and blessing them more and more and more and then letting God down and God coming back again and promising more again. If you want to understand the first half of the Bible, it's simple. Um, First of all, your God loves you. He made you the way you are on purpose. He called you good. Your God never gives up on you. If you read the story of the Old Testament, if you read the first part of the Bible, what you discover is a story of a God who for some unbelievable reason keeps coming back to the table even though we shove him away every time. Your God never gave up on you. And finally, the first part of the Bible story is that Jesus died to set you free. In a week, we'll talk about the resurrection and the freedom that comes from that. But for now, know that your God loves you, your God never gave up on you, and Jesus died to set you free, and this is good news. Because of Christ, the great hope planted on page 3 of the Bible has come true. The cycle has been broken. We can be forgiven and made new. We no longer have to do that over and over again. We don't have to be prisoners to it anymore. My friends, it's not an accident, uh, the story of Scripture. It's not an accident that you're here with us today. Because the same God that offers and offers and offers and offers and offers again throughout the Bible brought you here. And he wants to reach out to all of us. And so this morning as, as the worship team comes forward, as we sing our, our closing song, um, as you continue in Holy Week and on Friday you hear the story of the cross and, and on uh, Saturday you think about Jesus resting in the tomb and on Sunday if you come back and we, we tell the story of the resurrection, this week I invite you as we sing our song, as you approach Easter uh, to let God work on you. If God's trying to speak to you, open your heart to hear from him. Listen to your creator's voice. This is what he wants to say to you. Ask yourself, are you ready to admit that you can't stop yourself from grabbing in that bowl? Are you ready to believe that Christ died for you? Are you ready to be made new by him? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical covenant church outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin, and you can find out more about us at Bethelcov.org.